From Velocity Dance Center in Seattle, this is StanceCast, a production of Stance, Journal of Choreographic Culture. I'm Tyler P. Wardwell. On February 23rd, Seattle's Fremont Abbey will be transformed by a collective of artists from a range of disciplines. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation between two of the collaborators on this work, choreographer Tara Dyberg and sound artist Jesse French. They talk about their experience as first-time showmakers, also sound science, time, and the influence of Tara's immigration on their collective process. Should we start by introducing ourselves? Please. Okay. So my name is Tara Dyberg. I'm choreographing the Peace Networks for the uh, Fremont Abbey for February 23rd. It's a collaborative process with live sound composer, I guess I'll call you, Jesse French. Two dancers, um, Victoria McConnell and Marco Nagashima, and uh, visual artist Kristen DeClement, as well as um, Comedy Sports, which is uh, an improv comedy um, group led by Alex Grindeland. And I'm Jesse French. I am the sound composer. Mm-hmm. I take pieces of the sound world and reorganize them and reshuffle them and turn them into music or musical. Yeah, turn them into music. The idea for this whole piece and sort of site-specific thing at the Abbey came from uh, several meetings that we had all had, we all being like a group of artists or creative types that got together um, sort of at Tori's behest. So Tori um, is short for Victoria McConnell. She's one of the dancers uh, involved with this piece. She also is acting as dance curator for the, the Fremont Abbey, and so she acted as curator to sort of assemble all of these artists together and um, offer the opportunity to create the show. And she was really interested in getting people together to talk about the nature of creativity and uh, uh, about the challenges that, that artists face, the challenges that you know, beginning artists face, established artists, both um, sort of share that experience with each other. Yeah, um, when Tori gathered us all together, I really liked the collaborative focus on this production. Um, Being an artist where all of my focus was on the performative aspect of dance, um, I had a very strong critical eye and critical voice, in particular to the idea of making my own work. Um, so it really helped with the pressure of my own creative process and it helped me to relax a little bit of that critical voice that I have going on with my own creative process, knowing that I'm sharing the workload and that it's um, everyone bringing their ideas mm. to the table so that we could feed and bounce ideas off of one another. So I'm curious to hear about the title of the piece and how that came about. Yeah, I think... Tori, Tori was involved in that too, in the title, right? Because we were all just kind of stand, sitting around after a rehearsal, talking, talking business, right? Talking mm-hmm. shop, talk, trying to figure out like you know just uh, details about the 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 show and how to organize it and stuff like that. And yeah, what do we call it, right? right. There's always that thing. It's I think so often that the title is uh, retroactively applied, right? So it's yeah. not like you start it. Oh, I'm going to call it this, and then it it sort of evolves. It's like you start the piece and then you name it later when it when it sort of takes shape. And yeah, we were all sort of talking about, uh, you know, there's so many things that are involved, I guess, in in the fabric of our lives, right? Like of, of that are, are networks or webs or or connections, a tangle of connections, and sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, the title came secondary to after I was choreographing. Um, the original inspiration for the piece was um, sort of my. F- 
feelings and my experience of immigrating. I'm a permanent resident of the United States. I've been here for about a year. Um, I grossly misunderstood the process. And um, I think largely what informed this piece was just the personal experience and taking that um, very physical memory of my immigration process and trying to find a way to, to voice that on other dancers. Um, because what shocked me the most about what I went through during my immigration was um, feeling energy literally draining from my body. I felt very much like a kid in a principal office, you know, mm. when you know you've done something bad and mm. you're going to get in trouble. Or um, it felt very much like those moments before getting reprimanded by a parent or, mm. you know, someone um, that's going to be disappointed in you you know you had all those physical feelings that you when you know you mostly remember as a child you don't often encounter them as an adult um i think part of the perks of adult grown-up life is that you get to um converse more there's more dialogue right. around any discrepancy that you have in life or school or work friends you know there's dialogue surrounding that but when you get in a situation where there actually is no dialogue and um you don't have and any opinion that's interested in being heard, um, you feel very vulnerable. And that vulnerability was felt very much in my body and it would stick, you know, like that kind of sweaty armpit feel, that feeling of um, um, extreme unease, that, um, that nervousness. Um, yeah, and even just like physically how you want to sh sort of shrink your body you know how you want to like you know kind of kind of escape the the reality of the situation with your physical body by making your form smaller it happens so subconsciously without you making that choice you just change the your own presence in your own physical body when you're in those interrogative situations and i was really fascinated by that because i consider myself an embodied person and i consider myself having quite a bit of strength in my in my stance and in my presence, um, I don't consider myself a small um, personality or a small person. I'm very tall, I'm, you know, and so to feel that small and vulnerable um, was something that I wanted to explore more and then reiterate in my work. Mm. When I'm thinking the word network now, it also had to do with being in a system. And I felt very much like I was in this engine of immigration, like I was very much a number. I had an alien number assigned to me which I thought was very funny. Um, yeah, and so going through all of those many, many stages and steps and really feeling like you're um, walking in this line or in this um, in this system that's very rigid and set up for you. And dehumanizing, right? Oh, totally, yeah. Hmm. So how did you, how did you translate this experience um, of your own immigration, kind of being caught in this web, this like loss of freedom mm -hmm. to, to dance, to your dancers? Yeah. Like, had, had they had immigration experiences before or maybe like unsavory TSA experiences? Could you talk about <laughs> that process of kind of what's going on in your head and, and then bringing it out into bodies? Sure. Yeah. So the dancers are both U.S. citizens, so they had um, no experience like mine. I was really interested in the physical embodiment of power and um, it, it was always immediately apparent to me in any interrogative um, uh, situation with uh, the US border control 
there's a very obvious dominance and submissive role that, that uh, is played and um, it's not to be messed around with. They, they won't accept that at all. And so um, it's very much a process of leeching someone of their personal power. Um, and so how do you embody that? How do you translate that into dancers' bodies? Another component of it was um, playing around with form and formlessness in, um, in a body. And so how do you work with... Um, uh, a lot of it came from improvisation. So how do you improv um, structures versus um, no structure? How do you? What is the difference between um, forms and, and linear movement as opposed to something very fluid and circular in nature? Um, so that those were the starting points to um, to inspire the movement from, um, and that was what we collaborated with is music as well, form and formlessness with music and sound. Um, what kind of sounds are more striking in nature? Um, uh, what sounds? Um, give a visualization or, or like um, viscerally what sounds you feel is like um, sharp versus um, curved. So Jesse, how did the architecture of the Abbey inform the the soundscape that you've created? I'm really curious about your response to uh, the space, the features of it, and, and how you make site-specific sound. Yeah, so all sound that you hear is shaped by its environment, right? It doesn't matter where you are. Sound is vibration in a medium. Usually the medium is air. So the thing about spaces, physical architecture, and whether it's human created or whether you're out in the woods someplace is that uh, everything that's around you bounces sound off it or sound bounces off it in a particular way. And it's very subtle, right? Uh, sometimes it can be. But that's what allows us to know where that police siren was that we just heard. Yeah. You know, you, you, we can approximate what direction it is. Sure. Because of our experience of hearing these reflections. Yeah, the reflections help you locate, and, and actually location is something that's involved with the structures, the physical structures of the outer ear uh, help a lot with location. And also there's uh, this thing about head shadowing, where because we have binaural hearing, we have two ears, right? So sounds coming from a particular direction get shadowed uh, by your head, like the high frequencies kind of get cut off. So, and they arrive at your ears at slightly different times. And so that helps you localize sound. Um, but talking about room acoustics though, and about how site-specific sound works for me, the Abbey is really a great place to make work because it's just such a resonant space. It's like you make a sound and it takes five to six seconds for it to totally decay, for it to, to disappear. And uh, you can't escape that. I think that's that's the thing, is that you make sound in there and it sounds good, like, right? It's, it's really nice to have that resonance. That's, I think, why people have been making music inside of cathedrals for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years at this point. Uh, it sounds great. And uh, it's really it's really an amazing opportunity to work inside there and sort of play with I've been playing with the room modes which are what frequencies build up in a room like what uh, pieces of the sound spectrum are emphasized or de-emphasized in a room and as you walk around in a space especially one as large as the Abbey that changes from point to point so physically this is something that I want uh, anyone who comes to the show to experiment with themselves is walking around the space and hearing how the sound changes 
depending on where your head is. Even tiny changes of like turning your head from side to side or moving your head from one position to the other. I'm moving my head like, you know, six inches from side to side right now. And it's like the sound, the change in the sound that you hear can be very drastic, especially with some of the sounds that I've chosen. The dancers, are they responding to the sounds? Because I'm, I'm curious now if you have sound cues, if it sounds different in different spaces. Has that been an issue? Can you talk about working like in this space where the sound is different depending on where you are? Totally. Um, so we were initially um, going to work very, very closely with the music. And then time became something of a constraint, dealing with myself as the choreographer and then the two dancers and Jesse. So then we realized we had much less time than originally anticipated or hoped for. And I had to really honor and respect the, the time and the process that it takes Jesse to develop um, these sound scores and for him to be satisfied with the work that he's putting out there as well. Um, so then the process shifted to, okay, we're going to have the sound as more of a layer. and. Um, how much the sound informs the dance and how much the dance informs the sound um, is going to be applied uh, more of a last minute. So I went aside and choreographed with my own um, structure for each section of the piece and then I passed that structure on to Jessie and I said okay I'm going to take this dancer and I'm going to move her from form into formlessness and that's going to be her role and so it's going to start with this um, this uh, this quality and then it's going to transfer and shift and then you are going to go on your own and create music that um, seems to reflect that for you right i mean you know that's the ideal right is to sort of have this very close one-to-one connection between sound and movement um well i guess that's not the ideal but like that's something to play with i've seen that done it's interesting to me but uh it really takes a long time it takes a long like focused residency i feel like if we could you know quit our jobs or something like that and hang out all like four of us or whatever in that space for a month we could probably and work on it every day we could probably get this very tight correlation between movement and sound and i think it would be much more performative from my side but as it is a lot of it is sort of non-linear in the sense that like you know tara and the dancers work together on a, on creating a, a piece the choreography and once that's done, I can either view it in person or get a video of it, and I can kind of improvise live. We've done a little bit of that, where I have my sound rig set up in the space, Tara and the dancers are there, and they're working on a section or they're performing a section, and I can sort of perform with them. Um, and we're planning to do some of that for the actual performance. I'm working on getting my... It's sort of a mixture of pre-recorded stuff that I've made and uh, performance on various bits of technology that I have. It's really way easier I've discovered to compose in the space. And in that sense, it's site-specific as well, where going home and composing, that's that's the problem, I guess. Or it's, it's both a problem and a solution. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing is that when I go home and compose something for this piece, uh, it's going to sound completely different in the Abbey. So really what works the best for me, I've realized in the course of this making this piece, is that I go there and set up and sort of let let whatever's going to happen happen, let the sound come out there, and uh, it's intimately tied to the space. If I take the sound that I've made in the Abbey and play it in a different room, if I, if I was to play it in this room or through headphones or something like that, it's just not going to sound the same at all. It's drastically different. And uh, 
but the, but the thing is that I, I sort of pull all these sounds into the computer and slice them up and reverse them and sort of warp, stretch them, squish them, uh, make them into something different and reassemble them. And that's sort of the process that you end up hearing. And it tends to sound a little bit like hip hop, I think. <laughs> but I think that's probably because those processes are pretty key to hip hop creation as well. You've been listening to Tara Dyberg and Jesse French on StanceCast. The music you heard in this episode was composed by Jesse for Networks at the Fremont Abbey on February 23rd. You can find out more information about the artists and the show at our website, velocitydancecenter.org stance. StanceCast is available for download at the iTunes store or by searching the podcast app on your mobile device for StanceCast. It's all one word. I invite you to browse our archives on our website and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Stance Seattle. I'm Tyler P. Wardwell. Thanks for listening. 